Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather here. God, just to even have this room to just be in for these leaders that are here. God, to open up your word, to see what it says to us in our lives, how it speaks to us. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that we hear from you because, God, that's what we want to, that's who we want to hear from you more than anybody else, God. I pray we just worship you even as we listen and as I teach. We just deliver uh, your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this picture up here they're going to throw up there is a picture of me and my two roommates from college. Josh is a really tall guy on the right. Who's the short guy in the middle? Why am I always the short guy? You know, it's like I'm always the short guy. And then my our buddy Rob on the left. So this is actually taken in Daytona Beach, Florida, uh, back like a long time ago now. I don't know, 15 years ago or more. And my roommate, the one roommate, Josh, the tall guy, he, uh, he's a pilot now, and when we were at Liberty, he was studying to be a pilot. He was an aviation major. And so he actually flew us down to Daytona Beach. So we got to fly in Daytona Beach, like in a little Cessna, fly all the way down there. We stayed there for a couple of days. He had to do it because he had to get hours, and he's like, hey, do you guys want to go to Daytona Beach? We're like, yeah, totally. So we hung out at Daytona Beach for a while, got to just hang out. It was, it was a really great time. But one of the, the memories that I have of, uh, of Josh in our room is just... These like papers, like graph paper, maps, and even like a, I don't know, maybe it's a protractor. I don't even know what you call these things. You guys know I hate math. I don't understand math. But basically, I can just see these things laid all over the floor. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, I have to learn how to plot a course. Like if that's part of my training is to learn how to plot a course. Uh, And so every time he would have to make a flight plan where he was going and plotting the course. And the course kept him on track. There was different uh, features uh, in that they would actually know, like, okay, I'm going the right way. If I see this from the plane, it kept him on track. It let him know what he was looking for. And maybe if it was, especially uh, if there was a storm that came up or something, if he knew he was heading in the right direction, then he was going on the right course. And I tell you that today because I want you to think about, like, what's the course that your life is on? And I know that's something that you hear quite often, but I think a lot of times we really don't think about the course that our life is on. We just kind of go. It's like people tell us, this is what you should do, time to go to school now, time to do this, and you just kind of go without even thinking about what course is your life on. And so this, I believe the same as for a pilot is the same for us. We need to plot a course We need to set the course so that we know which way we're going. And as we set the course, then we can actually see, well, am I making progress towards where I actually want to be? And it's no different in our spiritual lives. Do we actually have a course set out? Are we beginning to go on the course we want to go on? Because here's three things that I think you can do. One, you can have no course and go aimlessly wherever your feelings take you. Like, hey, I feel like I want to do this today. I go this way. I feel like I want to do this. I go this way. People say it's good. Let me go that way. The second thing is you can go wherever other people go for good or for bad, for good or for bad. If you're around the right people, sometimes when we're off course, the right people kind of help get us back on track. That's a good thing. But if you hang around the wrong people, you start going the way that they're going, whether you realize it or not, because you didn't plot out a course. So one, you can have no course, kind of go aimlessly wherever your feelings take you in life. Two, you can go wherever Uh, other people take you for good or bad. Or the third is you can know where you want to go and you can plot the course. And that's what I'm hoping these next two Sundays are. They're kind of the kickoff for our fall series. A lot of you are back. We're here. We're getting ready to go off to school. And I just want to do a two-part series. It's called Discover God Engaged People. What a novel theme. You ever heard that before? Discover God Engaged People. And we're going to talk about four things. We actually kind of kicked off with this message last year, but it's a little different this year. Four things, prayer, care, dare, and share. Today, we're going to talk about prayer and care. And so as you're about to embark on a new school year, I hope my desire is that you and we plot a biblical course for the ministry and Lord willing, if you choose for you. The desire here is that this isn't just a good idea that Lee came up with or hear from someone that we plot a biblical course that you can take your life on, and that we as a ministry can go. So, the course we want to take is biblical, and it's simple. 
It's biblical and it's simple. Two things that I try to live by in my life, biblical and simple. So the main philosophy is this, as I already said, we want to discover God and we want to engage people. But I want to give you some more bullet points under that so we can kind of work this out. So this week we're going to talk about prayer and care. And next week we're going to talk about dare and share. But in each and every one of these, we're going to talk about how you can discover God and engage people. So how do we discover God and engage people in prayer? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about uh, discover God and engage people in care. So we're going to break, we're going to break down each of these. Uh, I believe that, and my heart is that this is the, this is the heartbeat for the student ministry. That this is what we live this out. That we discover God engage people through these things. So I want to help you think about it in two ways, two ways though. It's not just to non-Christians. Last year we really talked about how do we live our faith out to the outside world. This year I want to talk about how do we live our faith to the outside world, but also how do we take care of each other in here? How do we do this within this group? So I think it's got to be both. It's got to be both. We got to care for each other in here because as we do that, the love goes out and then more people come in, not because we want more numbers, but because we want more people to know Jesus. So it's when we care for each other well inside the church that the world sees and wants to know more. So here's what I want you to think about. Um, A lot of people look at their life and they think it's like this. They think there's my life and then there's God. And they're like, you're like, some of you are like this here. You're like, I come to church on Sunday. It's the God thing. When I leave here, it's my life thing. And they don't really intersect. They're two separate things. And some of you might have thought that that's just the way you're supposed to live. That's where some of you are. And then some of you are like this. You're a little closer. You're kind of like, well, it's my life and it's God. And they sort of intersect sometimes. Maybe it's Sundays and Wednesdays and a few times a week. Maybe I pray a little bit. And so it's like, that's kind of life. And then the way that I think that God tells us to be is like this. There's God, what he desires, and my life is in that. And I'm living out what he wants and his desires. This is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love that. You know, we, I love, like today, worship was awesome. We worship through music up on this stage. And that's one way to worship God. I know I love worshiping God. I've said this before. When I'm out in the ocean on a surfboard, I truly believe I worship God out there. So I'm like, God, I'm in your creation. I'm using my body. For some of you, maybe it's running. When you're running, you're like, I'm worshiping the Lord. Whatever it may be. But ultimately, this is saying when you present your body to God and say, Lord, my life is a sacrifice for you. I want you to use me. That is your life worship to God. And that's where I think we get this idea from. You've got the God, and then we live inside that. And that's what the Lord wants for us. So I just, I pray today that you begin to see, if I'm thinking about what does the rest of this year look like? What does this school year look like? Lord, I want it to be your life, and I'm within that. And let the Lord plot your course out. So my hope and desire is that we have the same hope and desire as Jesus did while he was on this earth, on this earth which was he discovered God. He knew God and his humanity. He was still discovering God. He was letting God speak to him. And at the same time, he was always out there engaging people. So let's jump in. Let's plot the course. So the first one is prayer. There's fill in the blank sheets in your folder. If you haven't got them out, there's some fill in the blank sheets in there. That uh, call a circle, that's going to be for the end. So oh, this is, you know, I want you to be able to take something home, write stuff down. As you write things down, it helps engrave it in your memory. So how do we discover God through prayer. The first question is, well, what is prayer? If we're going to discover God through prayer, what is prayer? And what I'm going to do is throughout this whole thing, as I talk about prayer and as I talk about care, we're going to read a verse and then we're going to say, what does that tell us about discovering God in prayer or engaging people in prayer and care? So first thing, what is prayer? Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says, when you pray, don't heap up empty prayers as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So look, in a really simple way, there's a lot in this one verse. But if we're just looking at what is prayer, prayer is simply talking to God, talking with God. That's what prayer is, talking with God. You know, how can you know someone if you never talk to them? 
I know that sounds really simple, but think about the people that you know the best. Do you talk with them the most? No, none of you talk to people. The people that you know the best, do you talk with them the most? Yeah. Whether it be in person, whether it's texting, whatever it may be, FaceTime, that's how you get to know them as you talk to them. And it's the same way with God. How can we get to know him if we don't talk to him? And some of you are like, well, I try to talk to God, but he doesn't talk back. And I would say, yeah, he doesn't verbally talk back to us, but God gives impressions to us on our heart and our mind. He speaks through his word. He speaks through worship. As you talk to him, you hope to know he's like, I'm plotting this course for you. You thought you were going this way, but you begin, the spirit speaks to you. God does speak. So first thing is, what is prayer? It's simply talking with God. God, it's talking to God. Second thing is prayer. Let's talk about why pray. Why would we pray? Psalms 42, 1 through 10 says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so Pants, my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So why pray? It deepens our intimacy with God. You know, who, who knows me best in my life? It's my wife. Why? Because I talk to her. I talk to her about what's going on in my life, what I'm actually feeling. What's, I do talk. And it's the same way. When you begin to talk to God and express your feelings to him, express your emotions, ask him for things, go to him, worship him. When you start doing all these things, all of a sudden the closeness that you feel with God begins to expand. It's part of that. It's it's a discipline that you build, but that's why we pray because we want to build intimacy with God. James 5, 16 through 18 says this, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This to me is like such a cool verse. It's like, what? My prayer can have a real impact? If you were here at Senior Shenanigans, that was last, was that last Sunday? It's been a long week. Okay. That was last Sunday. Feels like a long time ago. Um, if you're here at Senior Shenanigans, one of the questions that was asked to the senior panel was, why pray if God already knows what's going to happen? Well, here's a great reason why to pray if God already knows what happens. It says we're here in James that our prayers do something. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You want me to fully explain that verse to you? I can't fully explain that verse. I don't totally understand what happens in the heavenly realms when we pray and what God decides to do. But I know that this is true because it's in God's word. So what does prayer do? It invites God's power to change circumstances. Prayer invites God's power to change circumstances. You might be like, well, why doesn't God just do it when he wants to? And I'm like, he could. But what he said is, I want you to pray and you to invite me into the circumstances. That's pretty cool. That doesn't make us any more powerful. It just makes God even more powerful because we know that he's the one that's working. So why pray? The next one is Romans 10.1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is Paul in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, the Roman church, the church in Rome, to the believers in Rome. He says this really simple thing. Brothers, my heart's desire. So my, his desire and prayer. So not only this desire that his heart has, but also the prayer that he has is that they may be saved. So what does God's, what does prayer do? It transforms hearts. It transforms hearts. I'm telling you, it was so cool to see multiple people that are in this room right now come to know Jesus last year. And I think a big reason is because we prayed. We prayed and asked God to do things. And we want to continue that this year. That's not like a one-time thing. That's something we continue to do, continue to come before the Lord and pray. Because when we pray, God is doing a work to transform hearts. Now, sometimes... That takes a lot longer than we we would like. There's someone in my life that's really close to me that I've been praying for for probably 15 years to come to know Jesus. And they haven't yet. And I don't understand that. I'm like, God, this is what you want. Why don't you just make it happen? But God works in a different timeline than we do. So prayer transforms hearts. Nextly, next, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 says, 1 and 2, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. So what does it do? Well, prayer accelerates the spread of the gospel. I mean, it seems weird. It's like, what? How can our prayer do that? 
that's what Paul says here. He's like, pray that the gospel will go out, that it will accelerate. We want to see him do cool things. So let's talk to him and ask him, Lord, would you do a work to bring people around us to come to know you? And there are so many more things to prayer, but I'm going to give you one more on why pray. And it's found in Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is what I think is one of the most important parts about prayer, is that it puts God in his rightful place, and it puts us in our humble place. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I really want to be God in my own life. Like, not really, but kind of really. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't really want to be God, but you kind of want to be a little bit of God so you could kind of plot your own course and take control of your life. Is anyone else like me or am I the only one? Don't make me feel that bad up here. Okay, okay. I'm making sure you guys are with me. I want to put God in his rightful place. And when we pray, we're saying, Lord, we're praying to you, the one that can do things, the one that we want to see do things, the one that we want to put ourselves in the rightful place, God. So let us pray that we would be in God's will and not our own will. That's what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, yet not what I will, but what you will. So why pray? Well, it puts God in his rightful spot and us in our humble place. So we've talked about what is prayer. It's talking to God. Why pray? Let's go into how do we pray? How do you pray? It's simple in one sense. Just talk to God. But I think it's Jesus gives us a really helpful way to know how to pray. And why does he say, and I'm going to read this in a minute, but it's because his, his disciples came to him and were like, how do we pray? They wanted to know. So he said, okay, I'm going to tell you how to pray. So starting out in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners. So Jesus is actually starting out in the beginning, saying, before I tell you how to pray, I want to tell you the right mindset when you pray. You've got to get the mindset right. So he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus starts out in the beginning. He says, if you want to know how to pray, here's the most important thing. Get the right mindset. You're not doing it for others. And really, you're not even doing it for God to, be, to necessarily do something for you. He's saying, go in there where nobody else can see you. He's not necessarily calling out corporate prayer. He's not saying, like, up here I should never pray. But you know what happens is, when you're, when, just like when teaching up here, when doing anything on stage or praying, it can be really easy. Am I doing it for people? Am I praying so other people think, wow, not that you've probably ever thought this, but Lee is such a good prayer. Prayer? How do you say that? Prayer. Lee is, Lee is not, Lee is so good at prayer. No, that's why he's saying, you know what, if you really want to know how to pray, he's like, go where nobody else can see so that it's just between you and God and talk to him. And should we have prayer partners? Absolutely. Should we pray in small groups? Absolutely. Should we pray on stage? Absolutely. But he's saying, get the mindset right. If you want to know how to pray, come before God humbly when it's just you and him. Then he jumps in in verse nine and he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we're going to break this down. I've given you this acronym before, but it's a good one that I like. You can take it. You can leave it. It's helpful. You have this on a piece of paper that you can put in your Bible. You can do every morning. It's an acronym for pray. I didn't come up with this, but I like it. So let's break it down. It's kind of, it's from the Lord's prayer. So P, you can always remember P-R-A-Y. P is praise. Jesus starts out, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed holy be your name. Starting off your prayer and praise to God not even really praising him and thanking him for the things that you have, but just praising him for who he is, is going to put you in the right mindset with the Lord as you pray. Going through his attributes, praising him for just who he is, 
Start out there because that is what worship is. It's praising him. So start out with praise. And this is a prayer of intimacy. Because he's saying, Father. He's not saying, boss. He's not saying, leader. He's saying, Father. Coming before the Father. Starting out with that intimacy. And it's one of all. He says, holy be your name. God, you are set apart the Holy One that we're praying to. When we praise God first, we put Him in His rightful spot. It also puts the rest of our prayers in our mindset when we pray in the right spot. Praise is what God is due from us. So that's why you want to start when we pray is that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a minute, quietly to yourself, and just give, some God, give God praise. We're just going to do it this morning. So take about a minute to do that. Just praise God. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, so the next one is, after we praise him, is request. Request. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us today our daily bread. So now we come before God, and we're asking him. We're, asking, we're, we're requesting from him, like, Lord, these are some of the things that we need from you. Lord, this is what we need. This is some of the things going on in our life. This is some of the needs that we, we need met in us. But also... We're requesting, we're, we're saying to God, Lord, would you let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Have you ever thought about that before, what that really means? What Jesus is saying, he's saying, pray that what is happening in heaven in God's kingdom, that it would actually happen on this earth. When I realized that, I was like, that is the craziest prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, it is perfect. God is all loving. He's all loving still here on earth. But God is, there's love. There's no weak, there's, there's no pain. There's all healing there. He's saying, will you pray that that will happen here on this earth? That's pretty cool. That gives us a purpose to our life. Every day if you prayed that, would that not send you out to school? Would that not send you into your family? Would that not send you out to your team, your neighborhood, whoever it might be with a purpose of like, oh, I'm meant to live this out here today. I'm meant to live this out in my workplace today. That God, your kingdom would come on earth just like it is in heaven. Think if you started praying in that every day. And then we go before God with our request. You know, it's interesting though, when we've already praised God, I do think these go in sequential order in the prayer that he gave them. If we've already praised God and put him in his rightful spot, if we've already requested and said, Lord, would your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we've already prayed that. Well, by the time we get to our request and what we need, I think our requests have kind of been changed a little bit. Because we're realizing, like, what's the, okay, what am I really praying for? So I think some of the things we pray for, we're like, you know, God, I can kind of lift this up to you, but I'm not sure that's as, once as important as I thought it was. But this other thing is actually really important. So we've got to put God in his rightful place. And then when we begin to ask him for things, we realize, what do we really need, God? What are we really asking of you today? So here's what I want you to do. For, like, just a couple minutes, it's not going to be long. I want you just to turn to your table and ask, how do your prayers, the requests that you maybe have, how do they maybe need to change a little bit in your life? Okay? Take a minute. Talk about that. Knowing what we just talked about, how do your requests maybe need to change a little bit when you go before God? Let's jump back in and finish up the prayer acronym. So we talked about praise requests. Now we're on A is admit. Admit. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is simply confessing your sins to God and acknowledging his forgiveness. Now, I remember when I first learned this, it was at a, uh, this pray acronym, was at a Lead the Cause conference, one of the mission trips we go on about evangelism and discipleship. And uh, I was like, that is so weird. Like, why would I want to admit my sins to God every day? Like, isn't that just going to make me feel bad all the time? And so I got back home and I was like, well, I think I should try this thing. So I was like, I'll probably just skip over the admit thing. No big deal. Nobody will know. It's just me and God. And um, yeah, just me and God. God will know. I know. So... I got to admit, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so I was like, started just admitting some of my sins to the Lord, and I was like, oh, I'm already forgiven. When I gave my life to Christ, he covered all my sins. I'm already forgiven for that. That doesn't hold any guilt over me. That doesn't hold any shame over me. It was actually so freeing. The thing that I thought was going to be the most, like, oh, it's going to make me feel bad, was actually the most freeing thing, because I realized God already forgave that. You know, it's just, it's kind of like, 
Maybe with you and a parent or for some of your leaders in here, you and your spouse, you know when there's something between you or any relationship, you've got something between you two. Well, it's like when someone comes and confesses that, all of a sudden the, the relationships open back up again. There's not this wall there. And it's the same way with God. His forgiveness has already been given when Jesus died on the cross. But it opens that relationship back up again. You're not trying to hide from him. So admitting your sin, but also saying, forgive, forgive our debtors. Now, we don't really call people debtors any, to us. But that idea is what happens is when we're not forgiving someone, we're actually saying that kind of like they're holding our debt. That's why unforgiveness will eat you from the inside out. Because that person, they may not even know that you're holding something against them, but it's eating you up in the inside. And that's why he says, every day, come, admit your sins to God, and at the same time, forgive others. Gosh, if we did that every day, if we prayed this every day, instead of letting unforgiveness build up and build up and build up in us, every day we're going, Lord, I'm going to forgive that person. Will you help me forgive that person for something that happened? You see how if we started doing this prayer every day, how it would change us? And then lastly is yield. Yield our lives to God. If you ever, if you drive or you've obviously ever been in a car, you know when a yield sign is up there. The whole way, the idea of a yield sign is that you're supposed to give the right away. That's what you do when you yield. You give someone the right away. You have to yield. Well, yielding to God is saying, Lord, I give you the right away to my life. I'm giving you the right away. Direct me. Lead me. So we come every day to God and we surrender ourselves to him. We be that living sacrifice every morning. We're like, Lord, let me yield myself to you. Or maybe it's every night, but then if you pray that prayer every night, you just go to sleep. So what does that mean? I would encourage you to pray this every morning because I think it sets the course for your day. So yielding, giving the right away to God. You know, when you pray this every day, God reveals the places of temptation in your life. And this is the cool part. We all are tempted in different areas. But when we pray this and we say, God, will you lead us not in temptation? We let us yield our lives to you. I, I truly believe when we pray this because it happened to me. When you pray this and you say, lead me not in temptation, all of a sudden you begin to, you begin to realize like God's like, oh, that place is going to lead you in a temptation today. How about you avoid that? Oh, you could go this way to avoid that temptation. Do you see how all these things, the way God taught his disciples to pray, how it changes their life every day? So last application on this pray thing is just to yourself for a minute. I want you to take a moment to confess your sins to the Lord and then ask that you would yield your way to him. So just to yourself, take a minute to do that. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, let's talk about the last part of prayer is how do we, how do we now, we just learned how we discover God through prayer and a little bit how to pray, but how do we engage people through prayer? Well, first thing, when we pray, Acts 7, 7, 6, he says, and falling to his knees, he cried on a loud voice. This is Stephen, who was uh, an early, in the early Christian church, and he's getting stoned by the Jewish leaders because he basically was confessing Jesus and calling them out. And he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So when he cried out in this loud voice, when he kind of prayed to the Lord, he was talking to God, it was prayer. It wasn't that he, he wasn't, he wasn't off alone this time. He was just praying this out loud. He said, hold, don't let, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is what prayer does. Prayer changes our heart for people. Prayer changes our heart for people. We begin to have the Lord's eyes for people when we pray. When we start praying for people, when we engage people with prayer, and sometimes even through prayer as we pray with them, all of a sudden we begin to have God's eyes for them. You know, when you, when you pray for someone, it's really difficult to be bitter and angry at them. <laughs> Have you ever tried that? Anybody? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm mad at somebody, when I'm angry at someone, I'm like, I'm not praying for them. Jesus can pray for them. I don't need to pray for them. Right? I mean, that's a clear sign that you are angry and bitter at them. And if all of a sudden, if we started praying for them, it begins changing our heart. It doesn't mean that we're just like, oh, what they did to us doesn't matter. That's not what it means. But we begin praying for them. We begin having the Lord's eyes for them, the same that he sees them. You know, it, it's funny. If we started engaging people and, and praying for them, it changes our heart for our enemy. It changes our heart 
for a person that we see as kind of the outcast. It changes our eyes and our heart for our friend who never, who we had never thought about their eternal destiny before. And all of a sudden we start thinking about that. There's a lot of you that have non-Christian friends that you've never thought about where is their eternal destiny? Where will they go when they die? And all of a sudden you start praying for them. God starts giving you a heart for that. You know, if you start praying for the people in this room, it starts changing your heart for the people in this room. For everybody. Not just your friends. Not just the ones you get along with. But begin having a heart for all people. So prayer changes our heart for people. So let's, uh, let's talk about when to pray. When to pray. Because this is how we engage people. A couple ways that within our student ministry that we give you opportunities to pray is in small groups, every week we pray. Pray for each other. We pray for some of our non-Christian friends. We pray for the people in our small group, people outside our small group. We give once a month. We have it on a schedule that we pray once a month Sunday. Today was a prayer Sunday. That's why we, you just prayed. You just prayed four to three times. We pray. You know, also you can pray outside of these times with each other. You know, it doesn't have to be like I say, let's pray now that you can pray. Did you know you can pray with each other anytime? Did you guys know that? Okay, you seem surprised. Like, what? We can pray with each other outside of this? Yes. You can pray anytime. How radical would it be and crazy if you said, hey, let's get together and pray. And you'd be like, someone's like, what are we going to do? You're like, I don't know. We're going to pray. That's cool. Get together and pray. Go through the acronym together. P-R-A-Y. Doesn't have to be long. Get together. Use your time to pray. So within these times, though, how do we engage people? I think there's two ways that we engage in prayer. And they seem really simple, but I want to make sure we, we, we touch base on them. The first one is, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the first thing that we do is we pray for each other. I, it seems so simple, but here's the deal. Especially in small groups, the thing that I want to exhort us to and I want to challenge us to, I want to challenge us to get past the surface level prayers. I want us to think deeper on why do I ask for prayer for that thing? The number one prayer request in small groups when we go into the school year is what? School. But like, talk about why. Why is it school? Is it because you're stressed? Okay, share about where you're stressed about school. Whatever it may be, pray for each other, get beyond the surface. And I want to tell you the other thing that prayer is not meant to be. Prayer is not meant to be gossip. Oftentimes, Christians can be good at like, well, we were just praying for that person. No, we were gossiping about them. Prayer is not a time to gossip. Prayer is a time to pray for each other. That's why I think in small groups, it's so key because you can build that tight-knit group together and you can actually pray and see what God does. So in small groups, on Wednesday nights, you can pray for each other in that group and you can pray for your non-Christian friends to come to know Jesus. So that's the first one. How do we engage people in prayer? We pray for each other. The second one is, and again, this sounds so simple, but if we look in Acts or Ephesians 6, uh, 18 through 20, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. And that's like asking for praying for the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth today to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and I may declare it, to, as, declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul asked for prayer here. Not only should we pray for each other, we need to ask for prayer. Paul did it. If Paul did it, he was human. We need to do it. Be willing to ask for prayer. You know what it takes to ask for genuine prayer? It takes vulnerability. It takes vulnerability. You need to find the people in your life that you can trust. And I pray, Lord willing, it's your small groups when we kick them off and like, not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, that you begin to your small group can be the place that you can ask for real prayer and that you know it's safe there. Find those people. So pray for each other and ask for prayer for each other. But you know, ultimately, all this is great. But if we don't do it, there's no change. Prayer is meant to be something that we do. And as we do it, 
we become more like Christ. So here's what I want you to do. On your sheet, I want you to write, where would you do the P-R-A-Y daily? I want you to write the place, the when, and the where. And you know why I say the where? Because it was said that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places, from to desolate places. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane where nobody was. Where is the place? Is it maybe a, a spot in your room? Is it a spot in your house somewhere? Is it somewhere you walk to? My favorite, coffee shop. Um, find a place to pray. The when and the where. I think it's important. Okay. My hope for you is, is that this encourages you to begin praying. Here's what I want to end on the part with prayer is this. Prayer is where a movement of God begins and where it continues. Prayer is where a movement of God begins and where it continues. I believe that. God works through prayer. I think that's where it all begins because we put God in his rightful place and us and ours. I think God's began a movement and we want to see him continue to do it for his glory. So we want to continue to be purposeful about prayer. But I can tell you what the hardest thing for me is. I don't know about you. The hardest thing for me about prayer is, is I don't always see results. Some of you might think I'm, I'm silly when I say this, but one of my favorite things to do is mow grass. You know why? Because when I mow it, I, I get to see the finished product. I'm like, I did that. It's finished. The thing that's difficult about prayer is that you don't always get to see God do something right away. And I think that's where God continues to challenge us and encourage us to say, continue to have faith in me, continue to trust in me, continue to pray. I will work in my timing. Prayer is where a movement of God begins and where it continues. And here's the thing about care as we move on to care. When we pray, if we pray, it is only a natural outcome for us to be moved to now care for people in both action and attitude. If we pray... When we pray, it will only be natural for us to be moved to care for people in both our action and our attitude. We see this throughout Jesus' life. What would Jesus do? He would go away. He would pray for direction from the Father. Then he would come back off and he'd be like, here's how we're going to go love people. Here's how we're going to care for people. It was always, it was was a cycle that Jesus did. He's like, I got to hear from the Father. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to hear from him. We're going to go. We're going to live it out. And it's the same for us. So when we begin praying, God will move us to begin caring for people. Why is care important? If we're going to discover God through care, through caring for people, why is it important? Well, Matthew 22, the greatest commandment says this. It was one of the, the, the lawyers, the teachers of the law. He said, and they were trying to kind of catch Jesus in a, in a trick. He says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And why he was trying to catch Jesus in a trick was, if Jesus said that one law was more important than the other, then they would, they kind of catch him in this, in this trick and be like, well, you said this law was important, but what about this law? And so here's what Jesus says, who's the master. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So he says, it starts there, love God. And then he says, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Guess where we get discover God and engage people from? This verse right here. This is it. He says, love me, discover who I am and love me. And then what's the natural outcome? Go love me. And that's actually what the entire of the Old Testament was about. Know God and love people. That's what it's all about. So why, why do we care? Why is care important? Well, because it's important. It's what Jesus told us to do. It's what he commanded, commanded us to do. It's the hallmark as a follower of Jesus. So we care for people because it's what we're commanded to do. Another reason why care is important. John 3:16, a well-known verse. You may know it, you may not. That's okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, not all of you know, but I think it's so important to know verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The whole point of Jesus coming was to save us. Now he came, and by his life and what he said, our sins are condemned, but he came to save us. So why is care important? Well, because it's the heart of God. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the whole point of the gospel is love and care. We know the bad news. The bad news is already true, is that we're sinners. 
that were lost without Christ. But the heart of the gospel is that Jesus loved us so much, that God loved us so much that he would send his only son. So why do we care? Well, because it's at the heart of the gospel. Another reason why it's important is it was Jesus' heart for people. If you go to or read Matthew 9, 36 through 38, it says, When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The idea of caring and care is Jesus' heart for people. So why is it important to us? Well, because it's what's important to Jesus to care for people, to not be all about ourselves, but to be about people and caring for them. When we choose to care for others, both in the church, in the student ministry, and outside the church, we are living out the same heart that Jesus has. Ephesians three sixteen through 19 says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying, you want to be filled? You want to discover God? You want to know who, people, who God is? He is love. He is care. And Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you will be filled with the love of God. Why? So that that love, you can go pour that love out. And in the same way, Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus says, Jesus said, I will come. I will make myself a humble servant of yours. You know, one of the things that I, I love about Reston Bible Church is there's actually a lot of important people that go to this church that you would have no clue necessarily who they are in different levels of government and all kinds of things. They don't want you to know who they are. They just want to come serve in really humble ways because they want to serve the Lord. Where does that come from? Well, they look to Jesus. And you know what? I look to all of these leaders that are here right now and they're like, they have a heart for Jesus and, why, and they want to pour that out by loving you guys. Because they said, we don't want to have, we want to have the same mind as Jesus, which was though he was in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He wasn't all about keeping his power, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. That is the heart of Jesus. So here's the thing. When we participate in the nature of Jesus, it's when we care, we participate in the nature of Jesus and we discover more of who God is. And I'm going to tell you something. This is hard. This is hard for me. Yes, even in suffering, we care. Have you ever noticed that people don't always want to be cared for? Anybody ever notice that? My son's like that sometimes. <laughs> I'm like... Let me try to give you a bath. Ah! I'm like, dude, try to give him medicine. You guys have done that to your parents? Try to give you medicine? You fight them? They're like, I'm trying to help you. People don't always want to be helped. And so there will be suffering when we try to care for people. Well, guess who experienced that same suffering? Jesus. He said, I'm coming to die on a cross for you. Do you get this? He suffered in that. And so in the same way, when we suffer for the people, even as we're trying to care for people, we are participating in the nature of Jesus and discovering more of who God is. I'll tell you this, we will only choose to care when we see it as being more like Jesus. If you try to care out of your own power, you will get to a certain point where you're like, I have given so much, I can no longer give. And it's then when we go, Lord, will you work through me, not out of my own power? Because we realize it's like we are participating in the nature of who Jesus is and being more like him. So we talked about how do we discover who God is through caring. And now let's just end with how do we engage people through care? Well, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, we just read it. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But count others more significant than yourselves. Look each not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how do we care for people? Well, 
It means you focus on others more than you focus on yourself. It comes to your attitude, value others above yourself, and your actions. Look to the interest of others. So it's got to be both. It starts in your mind. It's your attitude. Your attitude says, I want to be more interested about other people than myself necessarily. Doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. It just means we go, Lord, just like you, I want to have the interests of others in mind. I value others above myself. And then it plays out in my actions where I take the interest of others. You know what? Don't make this more difficult than it needs to be. There doesn't have to be a special program or event or a Bible study. Just let the Holy Spirit lead you in how you care for people. This can be as simple as listen to a friend. Just give them the power of your presence. Be around them. Listen to them. Caring for someone at your school that no one else really cares for. You know, it could be as simple as going to where your friend wants to eat, not where you want to eat, right? We're always like Sunday after church. Oh man, I'm craving this thing. I'm craving Chipotle, not going to lie. And I'm going out to eat with some people after this. And I'm going to have to be like, I want to go where you want to go. But Lord willing, they'll be like, we want to go to Chipotle. Be the friend that actually asks people what's going on in their life and doesn't take the simple, I'm good for an answer. Know what's actually going on. Care for people. Simple ways to care. Give your time. It's the most valuable commodity that you have. Most of you have no money, but you have a lot of time. Is that not true? (laughs) I speak truth. Be, how about this? This is love too, and this is difficult, but be willing to tell a friend the truth and love. Be willing to tell a friend the truth and love. Giving up a little of what you want to do for someone that's younger than you. You know, you got a, you got a brother or sister, a sibling that's younger than you. Man, when you give up a little bit of your time to be with them, that speaks volume. So, how do I care for others as Jesus did? We're going to go through a quick story from Jesus. It's the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to see four things that Jesus did of how he cared for people so that we can do the same. So let's read this story. Uh, you can follow along with me. It's on the screen. It's Mark 6, 30, uh, 33 through 41, 42. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. What, who they're talking about is the disciples in Jesus. They're like, We saw you doing all these crazy miracles. We want to follow you. We want you to do the same for us. Verse 34 now. When he went ashore, he saw a great, great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? The disciples were like, Jesus, you see all these people here? You think we can feed them? You think we have that much money? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we have five and two fish. One of the other gospels, the other um, books in the Bible, tells about the same story. It says he went to this one little boy. He had these loaves and these fish. So they came back. They said, here's what we got. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. That's all the people. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, not counting all the women and children that ate. Crazy thing is, 12 baskets full. Who do you think those 12 baskets were for? The disciples. Jesus is like, not only can I feed these 5,000 people, don't worry, I got some leftover for you. I don't know. I'm going to say this real quick, but I think as we think about this idea of caring for people, often we can feel like, well, if I care for people, do I have any room for myself? And I think Jesus in this story says, as you care for people, I will have some for you too. I will take care of you. Okay, let's break this down. First thing, Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw the people. I know this seems so simple, but often we don't really see people. We see them like we walk in here. We walk into school, but do we really see them? Jesus saw the people. He saw the crowd. He saw them with different eyes. He saw them as real people. You know, do you walk around just thinking about yourself? Is your head just buried in everything that you have going on? Do you really see people? Do you see people in this student ministry? Do you also see the people around you in your school? I want you to just take a moment this week to, when you're out somewhere, maybe hopefully you're by yourself somewhere, Just stop for a minute. 
don't do anything. Set a five-minute timer on your phone or your watch and just say, I'm not going to do anything else but watch these people. And see how things change. Don't stare at them and be a freak, but just kind of be like, hey, I'm just sitting here. I'm just chilling. I want, just watch people and say, Lord, will you give me a heart of compassion for people like you do? That's my challenge. Second thing is this. He felt their pain. It says he's, he had compassion on them with passion. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. He felt their pain. It doesn't mean that we take on burdens that we shouldn't, but it means that he had empathy. He said, man, I, I see that they're in pain. He felt their pain. And then it says he sensed their needs in verses 35 through 36. Something to eat. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't record that anybody came to him and said, you have to, that they're hungry. Jesus just realized it's late in the night. These people are hungry. I see a need that they have. I'm going to meet it. People have three needs, emotional, physical, and spiritual. We have a chance to meet a piece of all of those. Look around. You know, this week I got a, I got a, a birthday card in my mailbox up in, up in church. I got a birthday card and it just said, we don't understand everything that goes on in your ministry, but we really appreciate everything you do. And there was some money in there and it just said from some grateful parents. That's meeting a need. I needed that. I needed that. I got a phone call from a leader this week that just said, he just said, hey, appreciate everything that you're doing. Right? We can meet each other's needs in our lives. That's what Jesus did. He sensed their needs and lastly says he met them. He got the fish and he gave it out and they ate and they were satisfied. That is what we can do. We can see people, we can feel their pain, we can sense their need and we can meet it. And I want to end with this. God is not asking us to fix every problem in the world. Guess what? Jesus didn't do that. But act on the one that's right in our faces. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So that call circle in there, I want you actually to go ahead and give that back to your leader. We're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to do that next Sunday. We're going to end here. We're going to worship. And then I've got one other announcement that I want to give. So worship team, let me pray. You can come on up. We're going to worship. And then I've got one more kind of important announcement for you. Let me pray. Father, Father, I pray, Father, I say it often, but just like in the prayer, you taught your disciples how to pray. They called you Father. There was an intimacy there. Lord, I pray as we just learn these things about praying to you and how to care, I pray that these words will seep into our lives, into our minds, and into our hearts, and that they will do a work. In Jesus' name, amen.